today on Happy Sad Confused, Elizabeth Debicki on Guardians, Gatsby, and Widows. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm very pleased to say that my guest on today's episode is the very talented young actor, Elizabeth Debicki. She is the Australian-born star of such films as The Great Gatsby, Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 2, and currently can be seen in Widows. Steve McQueen at the helm, this taut thriller opposite the likes of Viola Davis and Michelle Rodriguez and Colin Farrell and Robert Duvall. Uh, that's an easy cast to get lost in, but that is not what happens with Elizabeth Debicki. She, if anything, stands out. She's one, one of the best performances in the film and one of my favorites of the year. She very much uh, could be, and I hope she is, frankly, in the awards hunt uh, this year because it's a it's a it's a kind of a star making uh, role. Not that she needs a star making role because I think she's been on the radar of me of people like me and and other kind of film geeks out there for the last couple years. Um, 2013's The Great Gatsby. Uh, she appeared in Macbeth opposite Fassbender. She was in 2015's The Man from Uncle, uh, Guy Ritchie's uh, film featuring Army Hammer and Henry Cavill. And, uh, and this year alone, appearing in Widows, but also a great movie called The Tale, which uh, I thought I really wish it had gotten a theatrical run. It, it probably is still available on HBO or HBO On Demand. Um, well worth your time. A really dark tough movie, but uh, a really good one filled with great performances from her and Laura Dern and Jason Ritter. So, you know, if you're in the mood for a tough drama, uh, go look up the tale. Um, and I guess tough drama could also describe Widows, but it, it's a little bit more conventionally entertaining. Anyway, very pleased to have Elizabeth on the, the show to talk about all of that and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and all that fun stuff. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy that conversation. Uh, hope you're also enjoying the holiday season. We're in December, guys. We're careening towards the end of 2018. Everybody's putting together their top 10 movie lists. I'm cramming like crazy trying to see all the movies I haven't seen. Uh, I just, I'm really lucky and privileged. I acknowledge that. I get I get screeners so I can sort of like pile them up and I'm catching up on everything I haven't seen earlier in the year. Uh, I just watched Vice, which hasn't even come out yet, but it's the Christian Bale, Dick Cheney movie. Really like that one. Um, yeah, there's a lot. I have to see this movie Cold War that everybody seems to love. Uh, Roma is going to be at, at the top of my list. Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. So uh, I hope you guys are making time for some good movies because this is the time of year to enjoy it. Anyway, I'll put out my top 10 list pretty soon, and I'll, I'll share the, that information with you guys on the podcast and on my social media. Uh, beyond that, what else to remind you about? Oh, I got to mention After Hours. My comedy shenanigans, After Hours on Comedy Central, uh, continues. Last week, we debuted a, a fun sketch with Ezra Miller, wonderful Ezra Miller, couldn't love him more. His second sketch with me over the years, and it's a, it's a doozy. It's pretty amazing. He commits so fully. I love that man. I think we're going to do a lot more in the future. Um, he's the best. Uh, and as I tape this today, another one coming out this week. I won't reveal too many details, but another After Hours coming out this week uh, that I'm very proud of. Taped another sketch just today uh, with a former Happy Say Confused podcast guest. Oh, how, how else can I tease it? Uh, big, cool star from maybe the most beloved television show on TV right now. I love him. I've talked about him a lot. That's all I'm going to say. He's going to have a big 2019 because he's starring in a big comic book movie. 
there. Now I've said a lot. Uh, that's a that's a uh, happy second few. Sorry, that's an after hours sketch that has been shot. It's in the bank. We're gonna put it out in early 2019. Stay tuned. Uh, there's a tease for you guys. Anyway, uh, I'll let the conversation with Elizabeth Zabicki take over. But as always, I will remind you guys, please review, rate, and subscribe to Happy, Sad, Confused. Spread the good word. Uh, and in the meantime, enjoy this chat. Why well, look, it's Elizabeth Zabicki. She's caffeinated. Almost. It's it's too hot. I can't see it. It looks yet. very... Full? Full? Black and... Hot? Sure. <laughs> this is really an ad for Starbucks. She, she's on her eighth wind, as we <laughs> were saying earlier. Uh, you've been running around spreading the good word of your wonderful new film, Widows, which I love. Uh, one of the best uh, of the year, needless to say. I mean, I Steve McQueen. Ever. Ever. One of the best ever. One of the best films ever made. It's I very mean, good. I'm very proud of it. With some perspective, maybe I might say that. It's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty great. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for having me. So um, where to begin? Where to begin? Uh, we've only talked a couple times and pretty much in brief. The last time was in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I was just saying to your gang, like, my recollection of that was like, you know, you're doing like a thousand interviews on both ends. Like mm-hmm. you are, I mm-hmm. am. And I remember just like, a lot of the interviews I was doing were kind of like silly and light and whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the four of you came in mm-hmm. the room and it just turned into like a profound like master class on like race, gender, class. Mm-hmm. The state of humanity. This basically. Yeah. yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so has that what, what this press tour has been like? Has it been a little bit more intense, thoughtful than the usual kind of press thing? I think thing? so. I think because of the, what the film is saying, um, on one hand, you know, the the themes that it explores, which is, I mean, it really runs the gamut from, like, political corruption, race, police brutality, domestic violence. Right. Um, you name it, we go there. And in a, in, a, in a sort of efficiently profound way, you know, yeah. I think that's sort of part of Steve's genius. He can sort of enter into a territory with such speed and kind of precision i think and really say something very very powerful um but he doesn't dwell it's not indulgent it doesn't like drag you in and drag you out it just kind of like goes there um i think in the, i guess what i mean is before you know it you're there yes which is kind of his genius as a filmmaker well, no, it, it plays i think on first blush as sort of just like a great drama slash a little bit of a thriller i mean just an intense drama and then i think the more you think about it and the more as much as you want to delve into the the that juicy stuff mm-hmm. you can, mm-hmm. which is great. It makes mm-hmm. for a, a thoughtful night at the movies, hopefully mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. I think it does, yeah. Um, so in doing my, my thoughtful research mm-hmm. on you and your career, I can't find many like long interviews with you. I feel like we're breaking ground here. I feel have you do, have you even podcasted before? Have you done a longish thing like I this? I did one podcast. Oh my god, so I'm your saying. I really enjoyed it. My okay. mother always said I had a face for radio. That's just insane. So I am enjoying it. <laughs> what a nice mom you have. I know, I know. <laughs> She's a really nice mom, actually. She's a um, good mom. Um, so, speaking of mom, mm-hmm. uh, parents, dancers, as I understand it. Correct. So, uh, growing up in... And where did you grow up? You were born in so France, born right? in Paris. Yeah. Um, and my parents were dancers, but both of them started their careers as ballet dancers and then went more into theater and mm. my mom was in one of the early productions of cats on the west end in london oh, and wow. so my mom grew up in australia um and my dad is polish um and and we we lived in paris till i was about uh nearly six and then we moved over with with um my little sister as well right. um and then i yeah i grew up in melbourne in the in the really really super glorious southeastern suburbs of melbourne i'm sensing it was sarcasm <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> so not so glamorous? How would you, because I'm not so well versed. Very ordinary, just suburban kind of upbringing. Yeah. You know, my primary school was in one direction, 10 minutes we walked there. And then when I went to high school, it was 10, direction, 10 minutes in the other direction. And, you know, um, yeah, rode my bike around. I, I mean, I was shoved into, ba- shoved with love into <laughs> ballet class from the age of, you know, six. Um, well, that's cool because, I mean, you're, your parents really loved what they did. Yeah, I mean, my mother taught me for, for when I was a kid. My mom had a ballet school. So my mother taught me up until a certain age, and then I got, sort of got palmed off to other teachers. But, um, okay. yeah, I mean, dance was very much a part of our life. It's really when I think about it, I was very, very, very – my dad ended up working in a theater as a technician. Mm-hmm. I'm in one of the state theaters, and so we kind of got smuggled into the back of – pretty much every company, everything that ever toured through Melbourne wow. from the age of, you know, seven. So I, I was exposed to a lot of theatre. Um, so what were your, was that the primary means by which you kind of like enjoyed culture or were you like any other kid that watching like silly TV and silly movies or whatever? Like what are the things that really made an impact on you growing up? As you I mean, it? probably having like very theatrical parents, um, you know, like my their interests are where we were sort of, yeah, we were, we were dragged to a lot of strange theater, a lot of strange, like, you know, some like Israeli company from where, you know, would be touring with some, some piece where everybody was like wrapped in cellophane and, you know, plastic bags on their heads. And like, right. there was like t- TV static in the corner. And that was, you know, that you was consider that weird? Okay. That's good. Fine. Yeah, whatever. I, mean, I, when guess. I, was eight, I was like, guys, do we have to see this again. I'm so bored. Um, Can we watch Saved by the Bell? Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> You know, no, regular. I mean, my parents worked a lot when we were, when we came home from school, that was like, um, out, we didn't have to watch Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. We could like put the Simpsons on. Got it. Or every other nineties cartoon I can think of. What um, were the nineties cartoons? What were you into? Oh my God. Do you remember that show? Hey, Arthur. I, I'm familiar. I'm a little bit older than you. No, so I'm, hey, Arthur. Hey, Arnold. Oh, hey, Arnold. Uh, yes, yes. Hey, yeah. Arnold. Yeah. Poser, I mean, just all Nickelodeon, blah, blah, blah. I don't really remember. I was the older sister, so I, I was the one that was like, everybody do their homework. Um, Responsible one. Eat this grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> did you, were there trips to the States? Like, when did you first come to No, here? do you know, funnily enough, I mean, we used to travel back and forth to Europe. I mean, there was a big period in time where we didn't go back. And then we went back to Poland for the first time again since we left Europe when I was about 14, 15, okay. um, which was a big chunk um, of time past. Um, but uh, the first time I ever went to the United States of America was to audition for Baz Luhrmann for The Great Gatsby. No. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's jump, well, we're, we're going to jump all the way, like all backwards and forwards, but mm-hmm. that is obviously, it's about, I think about five years ago, roughly-ish. Oh, you are so kind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me think. It was 2000, I was 21. So say, uh, seven years ago. Okay, so mm-hmm. oh, that, I think probably the time you auditioned D- yeah, in that part. Different to the, when the film actually because came out. Because that was a process. Yeah, yeah, Baz yeah. does processes, processes. Yeah, I mean, in a funny way, like it was relatively simple on my behalf. I, It was like my second my second audition. Uh, I just finished, I just graduated drama school, right. so I went to like a three-year theater training school. And um, it was my second ever screen test. And um, a, an, an Australian school, Casting director was was screen testing girls to play Jordan Baker. I think there was a, I'm quite sure there was like quite an extensive world, you know, like a lot of people were casting for it. Because at that point, I mean, Baz had Leo and Toby and Carrie. Carrie, I think he just cast Joel. So she was the last sort of piece of the puzzle that he needed. Um, Yeah. And it was my second screen test. And I went in 
to the audition. Um, I mean, there's a whole, you know, I, I, I didn't know how to screen test and I, and I really wanted the part. So, you know, I remember convincing a friend who was a hairdresser to, to sort of do my hair in something vaguely period. And, but it was a really windy day and I put a like little, like old grandma cap on, walked around the street, waited to do the, the screen test. I was so nervous. I mean, I remember the reader was so fast. I dropped all the lines. I had no idea what I was doing basically. Um, and then that, that got sent off to Baz and then, um, then they f- flew me to LA to, to test with him and Toby at the Chateau. And it was so surreal. <laughs> Where am I? I? What is no happening? no idea what was yeah. going on. I mean, I remember waking up at the standard hotel and opening my curtains and just seeing billboards. And I was so flummoxed. I was like, what is this strange town? It I still like, feel a little bit like that in LA sometimes. Well, it feels like a little bit like an appropriate story for like, for Baz, who as much as a modern filmmaker as he is, feels like he's kind of, uh, it makes sense that he would do the worldwide searches and, and screen yeah, tests yeah. and just like he is he's a unique filmmaker. I mean, I've spent some time with him over the years mm-hmm. and like he's obviously a big personality was, you know, looking back, does that experience feel altogether un- unusual uh, now that you have other things to compare it to? In a way, I mean, Baz is extremely unique in how he runs his set. And and, and there's also something quite old-fashioned about Baz's yeah. set, you know. I mean, but the interesting thing is I had, it was my first job on on film. No, I lie. I'd, I'd done an Australian film where I had one line, but they cut it. But it didn't <laughs> matter because I could pay my rent. I was very pleased about it. Um, so it was my second, my second ever job and I had nothing to compare it to. Right. If I today was suddenly on Baz's set, it would feel enormous to me right. because it was an enormous production, the scale of it. I mean, we, we would have several cameras at multiple times on cranes, on, you know, my very, the very first shot I ever did in the film was the shot when Jordan walks up to Nick at the party and takes the visor off and the camera on this enormous crane pans over like 400 extras and I had to say a line. That was my first day. At, I, but, I mean, it was baptism by fire, but I... And of course I was terrified, but I also, I mean, comparative thought can be such a destructive thing, yes. you know? So when you, you don't didn't have know any anything, better, thankfully. No, I was just sort of like, I guess this is what you do on a film <laughs> set. Um, now, you know, but every, but every time I've, I've, I mean, every job is so different from the next one yeah. in terms of scale, but also how a director wants to run a set, but also where you're at in your life and audition processes change drastically. Sometimes i I've been offered things, some some things I chase down rapidly, don't get them, or I do get them, you know, sure. so it varies. Was Baz a big filmmaker for you growing up? Oh, massive. I would think. Strictly Ballroom is seminal to Australians. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like a rite of passage. But also, I mean, Romeo and Juliet sits there in my sort of top five. Right. Romeo and Juliet is one of those films that it's, you know, Saturday night and you've decided to not do anything. Let's just, I always will feel like watching that. Right. It's a comfort um, food. Comfort. It's a comfort food film, yeah. but also Moulin Rouge. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's a genius. Yeah. So off of that, correct me if I'm wrong. You do a play with some pretty esteemed actors straight off of that. Is that true? The next job, yeah, yeah, it was a play. I did a play with Kate um, Blanchett and Isabelle Huppert um, at the Sydney Theatre Company. Yeah. At that point, um, Kate and her husband Andrew Upton were running the Sydney Theatre Company, and I got this sort of email that said, "Would you, would you, could you come and have a." a chat and a glass of wine with Kate and Andrew and chat about this. They're doing a, you know, Andrew's writing a version of the maids by Janae. Um, and they, they want you to play the mistress. So Kate and Isabel were always going to play because it plays about these two sisters and their mistress. And it's very, very, very dark, twisted, brilliantly kind of 
slightly sadistic play. Um, and yeah, of course I wasn't like, oh, let me just check. I'll just check my, <laughs> yeah, of course I'm going to do that incredible job. Um, so that, yeah, that was the next Next game. So, and again, it seems like you're just like quickly knocking off like the Australian film icons, whether it's Baz or Kate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just give me a sense of sort of what it's like to act opposite Kate and Isabel night after night. And you eventually came here to we New York. We did do to it play, in New York, do, yeah. Right? Um, you know, working with somebody, working with those two women. I mean, this is how I sort of would sum it up. I remember because there's quite a, there's quite a lot of the play that my character wasn't in. And she sort of enters halfway through. And I, I kept coming to rehearsal really early. Like I was there like 20 minutes before everybody. And I would sit there with my coffee and my, my, my script and uh, really Telling lovely. Isabel to eat her grilled cheese. <laughs> eat your grilled cheese sandwich, <laughs> Isabel Hooper. Um, no, I, we had this beautiful director, um, Benedict Andrews. And he, um, he said to me one day, he came up and he said, you know, you don't, you don't have to be here so early. And I just looked at him like, are you completely insane? There could not be a better acting class than watching these two women right. nut through I, this, I this really dense yeah. text and watch them throw things out and, and try things and fail. And I mean, I learned so much from watching them work. And right. then sort of then the next step in that process was then I had to get up on the floor and figure out what I was doing but by that point I'd sort of I mean the the atmosphere in the room was was one of like sort of reckless fearlessness because I mean the, that's I mean that's why I love theater too because you get this period of rehearsal that's like a laboratory and nobody sees you right nobody sees you fall on your face repeatedly right um and then it's glorious and then you go out on and then you sort of you you know gather up the bits that sort of work and then try them in front of people um but I, you know, there was one one section of the play where where I was on stage with Kate, and it was this sort of choreographed piece where she was getting my character dressed because my character sort of wouldn't touch anything herself, wouldn't do her own makeup, and so we choreographed this very intricate little dance mm -hmm. with tights and fishnet stockings and gloves and lipstick and spitting on things, and it was all very <laughs> gross and dark and great. I loved it, and um, and then uh, you know, so we would we would there was a lot of text in the play, and then. Kate and I once said to each other, it's like we were, it's like we swamp, we would swim through the like, swamp the, and then we'd get the to this little <laughs> boat and then we would sit on the boat and neither of us had to speak and we just got to be and work off each other and it was just so electric. And Amazing. I will never, you know, that's one of those things that you tuck in your little mm -hmm. toolbox and think, I mean, I always got got to do that with Kate and it was genius. It's funny because like in the wake of like so that those couple early experiences what I'm struck by like in looking at at your relatively young career still is like you've avoided I feel like the generalization for actors both male and female in their 20s is that's not generally when I think the best roles happen. They're kind of the least interesting roles and I feel like you've been pretty good about avoiding those traps. For people in their 20s? Yeah. Hmm. Do you think that's fair to say or no? I mean because I feel like you haven't really done kind of the stereotypical kind of like wife at home or girlfriend at whatever. Like you're not propping up other people too much. Like you've really had mm -hmm. your own interesting characters. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's happenstance or luck or strategy or what, or if you disagree with my. No, you know, I, I mean, there's nobody who will say it before I do that. I've been incredibly fortunate to, to play really, really varied roles. I mean, everything from one thing to the next thing I do, I try to find something that's very different from the last thing I did. Right. But you're only in control of that to a certain degree at the beginning of your career, certainly right. when you just, you just want to know what's out there and you just want to get your foot in the door and get the audition. You don't, 
you, you have no power, no sway really at all. Um, so I think it's a combination of luck um, uh, and then re- really pushing, sometimes really pushing for things that um, I wasn't being considered for at all from the beginning. Right. Um, and sometimes those battles were won and sometimes they weren't, you know. I mean, one of the roles I loved playing so much and, you know, that was really helpful for me in terms of people sort of seeing me in a slightly different way as an actress was a role I played in a BBC series, BBC AMC series called The Night Manager. Of course, sure. And that role, you know... I see your buddy up there. Hey, Tom. <laughs> hey, Tom on a book with a moustache. That's so random. Um <laughs> Why is that um, random that I would have a coffee table book filled with no, Tom Hiddleston all, photos? They're just all Tom? It's a long story. Have you seen the coloring book that's like the the Benedict Cumberbatch or Tom Hiddleston coloring books? I, I believe it. I've not seen it. I'm going to get you one. Please do. <laughs> they sell them at the National Theatre in England. <laughs> you finish your story, then I'll talk Tom Hiddleston. Because we've got a mutual love affair with Mr. Okay. Hiddleston. Okay. okay. Um, so that role, you know, I think that there are many... I mean, that's the interesting thing about casting, too. Casting directors have have choices you know there's right. many many different ways you can go i'm not well listen i think that a lot of the time people go less and less now less and less yes but people can go for the obvious this is what this role looks like we need somebody this age that looks like this that is that kind of essence or vibe or something sure and i feel like i spent a lot of my career jumping in a room and sort of going i know you want this but why don't maybe let me tap dance on your table <laughs> let me just let me see if you want this instead and you know for many years everyone was sort of like mm, no not really right. and for whatever it was physical how you physically look how the energy you give off or something but i remember with that role um you know we had to convince a lot of people and i you know i campaigned really hard as much as hard as you can i remember writing an email to Susanna beer saying please 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 let me play this part you yeah know? and that was you know probably the closest i'd come to playing a really multi-dimensional role i mean because i i had had amazing opportunity i mean working with baz and i mean jordan baker i mean she's an iconic character sure. um but you know and then man from uncle i played you know this very sort of arch villain which was a great challenge but but she was really the first time someone gave me like yeah. a real woman to play. The um, and the company of actors, in addition to Mr. Hiddleston on that one, yeah. um, unbelievable. I mean, Hugh Laurie seems to be the most like he's charming, a, he's an self-deprecating, angel. wonderful, yeah. dark, darkly humorous man on the yeah. planet. Yeah. I'm dying to have him in here at some point. Uh, and Tom, was that your first experience, like being around like a like a human like meme generator on the internet? Like if you if you go on YouTube and, look, and, and like look, and look up your name on the inter- on on YouTube, like the first interview that comes up is Elizabeth Debicki talks about uh, reactions to Tom Hiddleston's bum. That's right. a, of course as and what as a it legacy be, that is. <laughs> I'm so pleased to hear that's what happens when you Google me. Trust me, we're gonna replace that with something more weighty. Um, but <laughs> there are um, so many things I could have said then. Oh damn it! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, not to mention Olivia. Like I mean, that, that 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 cast must have felt pretty unique to be in the company of. The thing about that cast is, you know, each of those actors are like England's national treasures. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them, yeah. from Hugh to Tom, Olivia, and Tom Hollander. You're right, Tom um, Hollander, of course. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I think most of them them had been to Cambridge as well. I remember sitting in the room sort of thinking, one of these things is not like the other one. Like, I really was like, I'm just, just this is token Australian. Um, I, 
Yeah, but I loved, I mean, they're all just these magnificent actors and beautiful people. That was an amazingly, you know, I grew a lot making that, making yeah. that show. Where are we at with the uh, continuation? Do we know anything? You know, I don't if know. If you knew anything, no. could you say anything? No. <laughs> so you, you'll never know if you, I do know you, anything. You've done a lot of those kinds of roles lately. I You're good at lying like, now. Yeah, good at lying, but, um, well, isn't that what I do for a living? I suppose. Mm, but I think that... Um, you know, it's really tough for actors, you know, when we do press or if you're involved in Marvel or something, you yeah. know, and people want to know and you just simply can't tell them. You just feel like a bit of an asshole. But, right. <laughs> you know, I can't. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, backtracking a little bit. So Man From U.N.C.L.E., uh, which uh, Guy Ritchie is another unique cat. The way he, uh, I was on one of his sets once and my, my, my overriding memory of it was like him in a corner, like playing on his guitar. Banjo, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> which isn't what you expect. You expect like no. the most high intensity, like mm-hmm. manic director, but mm-hmm. he seemed like the chillest guy on the set. He's very, very relaxed. Almost too much so. <laughs> he loves to. No, I mean, guy, guy directs with sort of like a real ease. His set is very laid back, yeah. and I think actors feel really comfortable to just sort of do what they want to do with the part. And right. you know, he comes in if he needs to meddle, but. Sometimes I'd be like, "Is God? Are you are you watching the money?" And he'd be like, "Did That's he just great. leave the it's, camera running?" Or it's what's going great. On? What else? What else do you need? I'm like, "What else do you need?" Um, do you like that as like a like? Do you have like a sweet spot as an actor uh, on a set in terms of like how much you want to hear from the director? No, I think it varies because I mean, everybody. No, I mean it's a really interesting thing when you start to when you start working with someone and you negotiate how much. Some directors like to, you know, really like micromanage yeah. and, and that can be beautiful and you feel, you feel incredibly held and mold, the whole thing feels molded and you, you're very, you trust that they're seeing every single little beat, um, which can be very sort of in itself freeing because yeah. you just feel like, well, everything is monitored and, and also it's a sense of like, if you're working with somebody like that and they say, great, we've got it moving on, I mean, you feel like you really pat yourself in the back. You're like, well, I guess Nailing there's it again. no other way I could do that. <laughs> But um, I, I suppose for me, you know, I mean, and I, and just to take this to widows, I mean, the most, Steve is just like the most incredible, incredible director to work with yeah. because I think what, what he is and how he works for me was the sweet, the sweetest spot I've ever been in as mm-hmm. an actor because there's a huge amount of freedom, but Steve is so specific. He's also incredibly sensitive and very, very, He's very aware of the psychology of every single moment of the of the actor and the character. Right. And Steve is kind of one of these people who he just wants the truth. Right. And and the, and again, there's a sort of efficiency to that. I'm. It's hard to explain exactly how he gets to it, but it's sort of like I once described him as like. A, like a soul terminator like it's like he scans you and he sees exactly the thing that you haven't given yet right. or the, the little piece that's going to unlock whatever it is that's blocking you getting to where you're going but it's also also like a, I don't know I I just love him so much and, and as a human being too and and I've trusted him so much before I stepped onto the set that right. when I got there and I had this incredible material to work with and these amazing actors to work with. And I cared so deeply about the role. I mean, that combination is just like, you just want to fly, you know? Is, is this another example a la Night Manager where you had to do some convincing or like what was the pursuit of this one like? Um, you know, weirdly, not dissimilar to, to, to what I described with Baz in a sense that I, I uh, had just landed back in Australia after doing a play in London 
at, literally like at the airport was waiting for my bag around the carousel and I got a little email in my inbox that said, you know, can you self-tape the, for Steve McQueen's new film? So I, I was sort of immediately unbelievably nauseous and terrified <laughs> and, um, you know, learnt the lines. I mean, the, the sides that I was sent were Alice, my character's lines, and I just from that alone could tell that I just had to, I just had to play her. I was obsessed. Um, I put a self-tape down in my, in my dear friend's garage um, and, and who, who happens to be an amazing person to read opposite and he's got a great camera. So, I mean, I was like, <laughs> babe, can you please, I really need to get this down for Steve McQueen. Um, and so then we sent that off to, to him. Uh, and very quickly, I think about two days later, I was, I jumped on a flight to come over to LA. He and his producer, Ian Canning were in LA and yeah, I spent this sort of, again, nauseating 12 hours trying, you know, not not sleeping. Woke up the next morning. Right. Um. Drove to to read for Steve McQueen. Um. I mean, it was profoundly. It was like a reckoning. You know, it was these. Mo- Sometimes I think you have these moments as an artist where you think, if I, I have to go in there and I have to do everything I can do to 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 take this thing you just that have to I lay it need. all out on the yeah. table. Right. There's no. I mean, there's no. I remember thinking there is n- you you there is nothing to lose. Yeah, um, which is a really interesting place to sort of spring from in a reading of, of a character. And I remember going into the room just sort of thinking, I, I have to I have to take this home now. Like I need to play this part. What There's is nothing. The, I'm curious, like what is the etiquette? Like do you like when you go into something like that? Do you like say outright like I need to play this role, or is it just about the work? Is it just like let me get into the reading? You know, I remember speaking to him about the about the part before very briefly. Because Steve is also someone who just, he wants to see it in the work. Yeah. Um, he doesn't like to chat around it. Yeah, he's not about the BS of um, no. business, right? Yeah. Uh, no, you know, and I, and I think you can try and convince somebody, but it's, it's about what you're doing with the work and, yeah. the, and the lines. Um, but, you know, we, ha- we chatted a little bit and then I got up and I, and I read one of the scenes and, um, you know, the, 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 the character I play in this movie has a really amazing journey. It's a very sort of a pretty brutal kind of... Um, coming into her own because right. when we find her, she's so, she's very, very abused by her husband and her mother is very abusive as well. And she's just this creature who, who has like completely internalized this sense of, of being a worthless piece of nothing. Right. Um, and, and there's a, there's a moment, I won't give anything away, but there is a moment in the, in the film where things turn around and she shifts them. And, uh, it's it's a very dark place to be. It's very raw, and and that was one of the things I read for him. You know, so mm-hmm. I read it, and then um, uh, and then we had a cup of tea. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're in Chicago, opposite some yeah. of the best actors yeah. on the planet. I mean, yeah. this film. I mean, we could stop at the four core actresses, but then like that would deny us talking about like the Colin Farrell's Daniel Kaluuya. Like I know, every it's every every corner of the screen is yeah. occupied by one of the best actors on I the know, planet. I know. It's insane. Yeah, think about the catering tent. <laughs> It was a lot. That's a lot it's of- like, that's Robert Duvall eating lunch. <laughs> that's Colin Farrell's eyebrows. They're amazing. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed. Um, talk to he me. He does have great eyebrows. Doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, what, do, what does Viola Davis do that's 99.9% better than anybody else on the planet? Is there a way to define, like, what that secret sauce is that makes us just, like, drawn to her on the screen? Yeah, I mean, it's something to do with her ferocious intellect yeah she is fiercely intelligent but it's not 
just, she, I mean, she's one of the most articulate people I have ever been around in my life and listened to. Um, it's mesmerizing hearing her talk about this film. I mean, we've been doing a lot of press for yeah. it and I really sit there and I, and then someone asks me a question and I remember I'm even in the room, <laughs> but, um, her, she's very, very cerebrally connected to the material, right. but her, her intelligence is so in her body. It's so visceral. And I think that the hallmark of all great acting or actors is their ability to have deep empathy sure. and Viola does. Um, and working with her is a gift. And, um, you know, we have a few pretty amazing scenes together in this film and one in particular, that's very, very physical between us. And I remember going into that, that day and just thinking, I mean, I'm deeply privileged to work with this woman. And, yeah. and I'm, I was so excited to see what we were going to do and what that space was going to be between each other. And, and it felt sort of like a wrestling match, you know, right. like we just jumped in and we challenged each other. And, um, it's amazing. Um, one of the, the many reasons I want to have you in here is that, uh, I mean, I've been following your, your work for the last few years, but especially like this year, I think I've seen you in four different films. I think you have a fifth that's probably coming out next year, Vita and Virginia. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you've, you've run the gamut this year from like, um, the tale, which is an amazing film, mm-hmm. uh, to posing on a, a red carpet with a giant rabbit. So that's the mark of a the breath of a and great a, actor. and a giant carrot. <laughs> that why, was a highlight. That's why you got into this business, right? right. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> but you can look back at this year as like this is kind of the goal for any actor, and like yeah, as much as we're joking about it, like it doesn't get much disparate than Widows, Peter Rabbit, and um, the Tale. Right. Right. Are you able to kind of like accept a little like <laughs> self-congratulatory like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of diversifying in the right way. I'm checking off different boxes and I'm still pretty early in this career. I mean, you know, it's it's difficult for anybody and I think also incredibly important to 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 step outside of yourself and take stock. Um, and it's very easy as an actor when you go from job to job but your job is being other people to get very lost in the work and then you spring over to the next job and then the next job and you're traveling and geographically you're all dislocated and whatever and and you know a year or two can go past and you don't you're not really aware of what it is right you know the combination of what it is you've made um it takes podcasters to make you take stock is what that's what we're here for yeah no but you know i think there's been for instance you know, last night we we had a, a little red carpet at BAM for this film and, and I was st- stood back and I was watching Steve and, and Viola speak to journalists and Michelle, you know, was, was getting her photo taken and Cynthia was there in this incredible dress and I did take a moment to just sort of let it drop in because I am really, really proud of this film yeah. and um, I'm really proud of what it's doing. I mean, we I just came from a Q&A and everybody's responding to this film in a beautiful way, but this is really, really touching women in a really profound way. Yeah. So maybe it's easier for me to sort of pat myself on the back with this one because I can see the direct effect. I mean, I'm Australian and I hate to sort of keep the stereotype going, but but I am extremely self-deprecating, probably to the point where I could, yeah, I could afford to be a little nicer to myself. But that's, <laughs> that's also part of, I think... Um, you know, I, I also think it's a part of what's going on with women in the world and, you know, with me too in our industry, but women in general is sort of, 
I said it the other day, like it's so much easier for me to look at a, a woman in my life and say, congratulations, this is incredible. You are beautiful and luminous and wonderful and powerful. And then someone says it to me and I go, oh, stop it, stop it, stop it. Right. But it is important, you know, it's a le- I'm learning. To accept. Oh my God, how convoluted is this? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, but, but it sums up the, I guess, yeah. the, the complexity of, of, of how difficult it can be to sort of step back and say, oh, I think I, I think that was all right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You're allowed. You're allowed. Yeah. Um, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about Guardians because uh, to be a part of that company uh, is a rare opportunity for an actor. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, what's the what's the overall what's the what's the what's the day you remember? What's the overall memory? What's the biggest thing that jumps out when you think back to the experience of making Guardians 2? Definitely the first day, the, f- the first scene we shot, um, I was um, <clears throat> in in that gold dress on the throne and uh, that dress weighs an extraordinary amount. It takes about four women holding each side of the dress up and then <laughs> we call it the taco because we have to fold the sides of it up <laughs> so I can like wobble around. I'm also wearing enormous heels. Yeah, like, as if you need that help. Right. Come on. I, I remember when James was sort of like, but we also want you to be eight foot tall. I was like, great. <laughs> Um, I was all about it. I was. I love it when people use my height in like a really graphic, demonstrative way. I mean, there's <laughs> no other way to do it. it Come right? on, I mean, yeah, don't hide it. Let's make a Marvel movie and make you eight foot tall. Um, but that that was my first day. The scene where where all the guardians is uh, sort of in that semicircle around my throne, and I'm in that sort of bald cap, and I and I couldn't really move my head because the whole image is that sh- sh- the throne is part of her, but then she steps up out of it. I have these gold contact lenses in so I can't really see that much um and and that was day one amazing I was sort of like you know barely got some oatmeal in and was just sat on this throne and 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 you know that cast are just the loveliest people but I think I I think I was sort of sat up there like this strange presence (laughs) and they were down there and it was like the power dynamic from the scene was bleeding into life and at one point I remember Chris sort of like crept up and he was like hey how you doing and I was like oh my god please come and talk to me I'm really lonely I would give you a hug but I don't think I can move that out of this taco I'm not allowed to move my head I want to mention a couple upcoming projects that I'm very intrigued by Uh, have you been shooting with Mr. Mick Jagger yet? I have I just wrapped a movie with Mick Jagger that's insane and Donald Sutherland (laughs) that's double insane in Italy. In, yeah, Como, right? In Lake Como. I mean, that's not a real life you're leading. Apparently it was. <laughs> we have documentation. This is not just some we fever have, dream of yours. Let me um, Yeah, because yeah, I don't think Mick Jagger's even acted in like nearly 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, is that impossible to forget your acting opposite Mick Jagger or? I mean, we had a really lovely time, to yeah. be honest. He was, I mean, he was so great in the role, too. Um yeah, it was a really interesting film. It's a, it's called the Burnt Orange Heresy, and it's, it's a very interesting kind of. There's something quite Hitchcockian about it. It's very dark. It's a thriller. Yeah. It's about the art world, and, um, and yeah, but that was also like so kind of extraordinary. To one day I would be doing these and, and really beautifully written script too. So I have these amazing scenes with Donald Sutherland too. You know, I mean, there's just acting royalty, and is so so good you know I mean sometimes I don't know there'd just be moments where I'd just watch him again and be completely mesmerized um and and then and then forget my line but um but then yeah make as well and then uh 
another one that I'm, I don't know much about, but looks pretty intriguing on paper is Lovecraft Country. Yes, I'm very excited about that project. So what? Is, so because this, I mean, the producers alone, mm-hmm. you've got some interesting pedigree mm-hmm. behind the camera mm-hmm. from Jordan Peele and Bad Robot, etc. The name Lovecraft conjures up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we know? What can you say at well, this it's, point? Well, it's based on the book, A Lovecraft Country. Um, I mean, all, I don't want to give anything away, and I'm, I'm, I don't really know how much I can say, but, um, well, it has an extraordinary cast, first of all, and I'm really excited to, to get into it and work with all those actors again. But um, it's set in 1950s Jim Crow America, and um, it's genre, but it is very, very much a study of, of, of racism in America in the 50s. Um, in this kind of very interesting setting. And yeah, I've got a pretty juicy part. So I'm really excited to, to get it back into that. And then just wrapping things up with, with a, a nice bow. So like, are you, you know, I alluded to this before that I feel like you've, you've, you've managed to find some particularly interesting roles, especially in the last couple of years. Um, like, is there something that you're not being thought of that you wish would come your way? Like you're talking about sort of like trying to kind of, you know, going into an audition and, you know, convincing them when maybe you're not on paper the right person do you find you have to like fight those battles or are you getting interesting material or like where's your head at just generally um i mean i uh, yes i am getting interesting material there are certain things that i think i mean there's you get very sort of like superficial about this i do anyway i'm like i want to play a um but i you know i would love to i would love to um I'd love to dance on, I'd like to do like a musical or something great. I mean, I'm like a musical baby. So, um, that sometimes, sometimes I think, God, I just love to put a big frock on and do a really period thing too. Sure. I mean, then everyone goes, what about the corset? But you know, I have to do a lot of that in acting school and I'm good with it, but that, that all sounds horrifically superficial, but, um, yeah, I guess I'd like to tick those boxes. Do you feel that, that your physicality gets in the way sometimes? Like you're probably not going to be cast opposite Tom Cruise as a romantic. I don't know. You no. should ask him. Maybe I'll he'd ask like him next to. Time, maybe. Maybe he'd love it. <laughs> um, it's a really interesting question. I get asked it a lot. I don't know. I mean, my answer's always been, if I missed out on a role because I was too tall, no one's ever going to, my agent's never going to pick the phone up and say, yeah, you didn't get it because you're tall. I mean, what am I going to do? Like cut my legs off. Not worth it. I mean, my, my, I'm certainly more and more, and the older I get and the more confident I get, the more I own it about myself. And I don't try to apologize for it, you know, in any way. And actually widows was a really interesting, you know, learning curve for me in terms of that, because Steve so embraced my height and never wanted me to, if I so much as slouched on one hip, he'd sort of come and like, tell me to stand up right um which is so interesting because i think whenever there is something about us as human beings that is slightly different from the crowd we do feel you know you can either embrace it and use it or you can sort of unconsciously sort of apologize for it the more yeah like i said the older i get the more i just sort of completely own it about myself and that's a coming into my own skin too and you know owning who you are accepting the compliments not being so tough on yourself this is this is therapy, right? How all, much do I owe you after this hour? <laughs> I'll take anything at this point. Um, thank you so much for stopping by. As you Pleasure. can tell, I'm such a fan of your work, and in particular, this film, Widows, is uh, if people are weighing what to see in this crowded season, this one is well worth uh, your hard-earned dollar just for. I mean, it's an entertaining film, a thoughtful film. It's got amazing performances. Steve McQueen's as good as they get. What more can you ask for? Uh, am I selling it well enough? You're selling it very well. We did well together. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much again for stopping thank by. Thank you. My pleasure. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. 
I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.